welcome to the United We Scan podcast, the podcast by rural carriers for rural carriers. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views or opinions of the United States Postal Service or the National Rural Letter Carriers Association. We ask that you please consult your assigned union representative for guidance in your local area. Make sure you like this podcast, share with your fellow rural carriers, and subscribe to be notified each time a new episode is uploaded. Please rate this podcast five stars where applicable and leave a comment or question for us below. Thank you. Now, here are the hosts of the United We Scan podcast. Welcome back. We are officially on episode 20. We do have a special episode we'll be uh, releasing later in the week. That it was already recorded, but we wanted to welcome back. Night is a bit of a special night. Uh, some of us members of the uh, of the podcast here received our first fan mail. Unfortunately for us, it wasn't all glitz and glam like most fan mail can be. It was a rather negative connotation to the people who give their free time to lift up the craft. We will not reveal who the fan mail came from, or what it contained, even though we have the legal right to do so. You are all welcome to form your own opinions. As we've always said, it's carrier discretion. And while we like to discuss our craft and how each and every one of you can help to make it better together, some comments have been made and taken out of context, which in this day and age we are now in, it is to be expected. Unfortunately, for the people who do this podcast, it means we have to make this statement. What we have to make clear is we do not condone nor tolerate any bullying, harassing, or intimidation in any form. We believe that not only should we not be afraid in our workplace, we also should be safe on any platform or at any location where we choose to be. No one should ever be afraid to speak their mind anywhere at any time this is true no matter what level you are in any organization and whether you are a dues paying member or a non-dues paying member everyone should be treated with dignity fairness and respect you all know we have had a disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast and a written disclaimer on all our other social media locations to separate ourselves from the nrlca and the usps while this is legally all we have to do per any social media policy placed out by any organization, some individuals may not realize that anything we say on this podcast is not to be, const not to be construed as actual steward advice or advice on the policies and procedures of the USPS. We do not operate this podcast as stewards or representatives of the Postal Service or the NRLCA. At no time should the NRLCA or the Postal Service ever believe that we are operating in that capacity. We are rural carriers, speaking to rural carriers who deliver the mail day in and day out and have been doing so for days, weeks, months, years, and decades. Rural carriers who come into their office and work their route, do their job to the best of their ability, and go home to their families both dues-paying and non-dues-paying.
While what we discuss on the podcast pertains to rural carriers out in the field, our advice may not be the advice that a designated union representative would give. And you should do your own research into those items and speak to your local union representative as needed. We only do this podcast with the idea that we are your fellow carrier working right alongside you. We are your casemate, your fellow workroom carrier that you ask questions to and get answers from. We talk to each other as equals, fellow carriers who care about each other. Legally speaking, we are not allowed to act as your union representative, nor are we to give advice as a union representative. It is against the steward rules in every union organization we've researched, codified in many of their constitutions. We also are not allowed to act in a legal capacity as none of us are bar certified attorneys, although some do have attorneys on retainer to go to for proper legal advice when necessary. While we are proud to be local stewards in our own individual capacity, our union representative capacity only applies to those with whom we are tasked to, with being the union steward for. The only people who are able to give full union advice to everyone in the nation dues paying or non-due paying is the national board we also are unable to speak on behalf of the united states postal service management while we may see bits and pieces in each of our offices we do not know their thoughts ideas emotions or plans just like each and every one of you our goal for this podcast is to lift every working rule carrier up and to get them to join together, not only discussing current issues facing each and every working rural carrier, but to help bring light to areas not many even know about. There are many facets to being a rural carrier, from being an, an ARC, RCA, PTF, or regular that are buried in mountains of paperwork. We hope we can invigorate you to do your own research into all this paperwork and find the answers you're looking for. We do this in our own free time and without compensation. We don't need compensation as the reward for doing this, knowing that each and every working rural carrier gets motivated to be more involved in their craft. We are attempting to make a concerted effort to bring rural carriers together, to strengthen us inside and outside the union. The union is not a part of this podcast, nor do we consider anything we say to be the view or opinion of the union. Never wanted to, never needed to. This podcast is intended to be a fun way for us to point carriers in the right place to look for answers. We are not the answer, but just the voice to start our fans looking in the right direction. We are not here to make people feel anything but pride for their craft and motivate them to step up and be involved. We want each and every one of you listeners to know, no matter what, our goal is to get carriers excited to be involved. While we may not get things right or we may upset people, that is not our intention whatsoever with this podcast. While we do not speak on behalf of the NRLCA, we support our union in its goals of protecting carriers' legal rights and constitutional rights. Every rural carrier, every ARC, every RCA, every PTF, every regular, every steward, and every union officer whether dues-paying or non-dues-paying, everyone is our brother and sister in the craft. To 
to our fan that sent us the, ma- the fan mail. We welcome you to join us on the podcast and discuss your thoughts with us. We are non-discriminatory and open to everyone and every view. We thank you for your time to reach out to us and speak with us in a professional manner. If you wish to join us one day for a podcast, reach out to one of the hosts through our social media platforms, and we'll figure out a way to bring you on as a special guest. The door is always open, and we're always available in our off time. To everyone else, we are here for you a fellow colleague to offer opinions, a listening ear to help through issues, a shoulder to cry on. We do not discriminate. We do not keep things behind a curtain. We are all one group, one job, one craft together. A union is only as strong as its weakest member, and that is the least informed member, deuce paying or non-deuce paying. Help make this union strong by becoming informed. So tonight we are going to, uh, we don't have a set discussion like we have in the past with Rex, where we've got a lot of comments, questions that we have come in through email, private message. I have a uh, audio message that we received. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to discuss and go over those this evening with everybody. Just a reminder that as we answer these questions, this is not considered, uh, don't want you to, this is not steward advice. This is not advice from a union steward, um, nor is this, uh, we're not speaking for the union or the postal service. Uh, Yeah, they have their own avenues for disseminating information to everybody. And you should consult your designated union representative for guidance. Or not disseminating information. Or <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I, I said that out loud. I'm sorry. It's okay. But no, tonight we're pretty much going to be addressing everything that we have got. Just about everything. Um, if we haven't addressed it or talked to you personally. And to try and steer you in the correct direction. So basically we have a lot of things up that we're just going to clarify and have a good time with tonight. So if you were going to take the first one, James. So the question is, on the route coverage percentage, if I understand correctly, the more active deliveries you have that aren't actually getting mail will cause the percentage to be lower. Wouldn't the answer be to deactivate more boxes to get the percentage higher? Then the question becomes, how much of a part is the percentage playing in the total evaluation? So the percentage of coverage only affects a few categories on the 4241M and the 4241A. And that's the ones that you, when you're looking at your 4241M, it has the coverage factor listed next to it. Those are the only categories that are affected by the coverage factor. Everything else is plain value. Um, Per the PO603, vacant boxes only need to be placed in the edit book after 90 days. Putting them in there earlier than that is a waste of time because somebody could actually move in on the 89th day. I've had that happen to me. 
Uh, also, your every door direct mails, box holders, and WSS cover uh, affects your coverage factors as well as the count you get for mail pieces through your route. So if you put a, a box vacant, you're not getting that cover that extra boost of numbers with those full coverage markers. All right. Um, another one that comes up. It says you stated that filing grievances are end of shift duties. They are not. I also read the Q&A on the NRL website and have included the language. The filling out. <clears throat> so what this actually means is having a step one discussion is not an end of shift duty. Obviously, not always management may not necessarily be available at end of shift it, for whatever reason. But the filling out and the filing of the grievances should be under the end of shift duties under the actual time. Yeah, your discussion with management should be on 8127 time or 1314A time, green card time, when you're uh, having the discussion with them. So the question is, uh, I was telling my PM about anything more than eight letters is considered a parcel. He said he never heard of that. Where can I find, where can I get that in writing to show him? He also said that uh, we are to use door miscellaneous for hold mail, not unscanned parcel. Is this okay too? What if we have hold mail that barely fits in the box? What do we use unscanned parcel for? So when, um, when the unscanned parcel first came out, they first said that it was only for uh, non-legible barcodes or for mail that didn't, or parcels that did not have a barcode. Then they later amended it, and then they said door miscellaneous was on, basically the only scenario they could come up with was for hold mail that would not fit in the mailbox that you were going to deliver to the door that did not have uh, a scannable item with it. But now they have said at the at the with the mini mail survey, they came out and said that if you're taking out hold mail that has more than eight pieces, whether that's a, whether it's for, for a business closed, like you have a, a business that doesn't want their mail, to, that wants their mail held on Saturdays and then delivered on Sunday, or vacation holds, that if you have eight pieces of mail, that becomes an unscanned parcel. And if you deliver that to the door as an unscanned parcel, then that is that is your that's your credit for delivering to the door and you no longer need to use door miscellaneous i think where this came into play because this was released shortly before the mini mail survey was in the past actual the old time mail counts when -hmm. you had a hold that went back during that mail count it was counted as a parcel credit right and then wasn't there i seem to remember too that if it was if you were holding it before if it was on hold before the count started, you got to count it as a parcel when you took it out. But if it started and ended during the mail count, you didn't. Is is am I remember that correctly, or am I off there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. If you have eight, so if you if you have a business that's closed on Saturday, mm-hmm. and this this came out, this was in the mini mail survey training. Uh, if you if you have a business that's closed on Saturday or a vacation hold and you accumulate eight pieces of mail and that can be letters or flats and that's all you have then 
then you deli- when you deliver it, you can deliver it as an unscanned parcel. That and if you take if you take it and like some of the older some of the older people who live on my route who get a ton of ton of catalogs, a ton of what I call send us money mail, you know, political parties, charities, whatever, who get tons of mail when they when they hold their when I hold their mail for a week. And I just put it and I put it in a tub and take it to their door and there's nothing else in there. Then that's all that's an unscanned parcel. And when you deliver it to their door and that's where you deliver it, unscanned parcel delivered at door, then you don't need to do the door miscellaneous scan. That is that is correct. Yes. Because you're, you're designating where you're delivering it. Yes. Don't forget the pa- packs of socks, the gloves, the pens, and things like that they send, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> those unfit, unbendable pieces, they send those things in. Yep. So, following up with that, we had another question asked. I keep hearing about the eight pieces for unscanned parcel credit. I believe it's eight pieces for a closed business on Saturday as well. I'm guessing it's eight pieces or more of DPS for hold mail too, handled the same way as a closed business. As we just said, it's eight pieces. It doesn't matter if it's DPS, flat, or even uh, small parcels that have no barcodes. Eight pieces held is an unscanned parcel. And it's not every eight pieces. I have seen this one come up. It's eight pieces or more, not each eight pieces. Oh, dang, that gets rid of 30 credits on my one person. (laughs) (laughs) Every day. Darn it, Kristen. I'm sorry. But no, it's not every eight pieces. It's if, so if you have somebody that goes on hold that doesn't get a lot of mail, and so when you take it out and they only have six up to seven pieces of mail total, you're just delivering that mail. If there is eight or more total pieces, then that would be a scan, uh, unscannable parcel. And that includes if they have eight pieces of marriage mail. So if they have a marriage mail and a, and a card that goes with it, and you get that for four weeks because you can only hold mail for 30 days, if they get that for four weeks, that's eight pieces. That is an unscanned parcel. Now, it's not if you get just the marriage mail without the card, but if you get marriage mail and card every week for that, and it's eight pieces total, it's an unscanned parcel. Right, right. But if they don't get it, well, that's if they don't get anything else. Exactly. We're talking about if they get nothing else but the marriage mail and a card that goes with the marriage mail. That's minimum, just saying. Yeah. All right. On to the next one. Who's got the breakdown of the between the years and the pay tables? Bill, no, I don't have the breakdown on that. Keep that in my case. <laughs> you know, you know the, you know where the the years were that they changed over to the tables and stuff like that, right? I actually just have. I've been looking for that. I just have it pulled up. <laughs> All right, Josh, you, you take this one. Josh, you do it. Regular carriers that converted to regular prior to November twentieth, two thousand ten, will be on table one. RCAs that were hired between November 20th 
2010 and August 11th, 2012 will be paid on that higher, on was that table three? But when they convert, if they were hired after that November of 2010, they will go to table two. Now, there's also another caveat to that. Your hire date as an RCA may be back in that time frame, but if you moved offices, your hire date changed because you have that record of being with the post office that whole time, but your hire date starts over when you move to that new office. No. So whatever doesn't. table you're... No, your hire date doesn't change. Your, your office... No, your I'm talking seniority. about... Your, your, your seniority date. Your office yeah. seniority, your seniority date, date change, but your, but your hire date does not change. Uh, yeah, and that changes your table, too. No, it doesn't. On that. Uh, I was told it did. We can delete that. Okay. Delete that part. <laughs> I was All right. wrong. Yep. So anyone that converted to regular prior to November 20th in 2010 okay. is on table, table one. one. Any RCAs that were hired prior to August 11th of 2012 we're on table three, which is the higher pay scale for RCAs. But because they were hired after that November 2010 date, then when they convert to PTF and or regular, they'll be on table two. Which sucked for those that when they converted, because now they're converting to a much lower pay scale. And if you were hired as an RCA prior to that date in 2010, because my memory is shot at the moment, short term, and you go regular, you will be table one. Yes, your actual hire date. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I was hired in 2006, but I didn't go regular until 2015, so I, was on, I went to table one. As long as your actual hire date was prior to t November of 2010, you'll be on table one, regardless of whether it takes you, took you one, five, ten, even 20 years to go regular. And if you were hired after the 2012 date, well, you're table four, and when you go regular, you are table four. Right. Which and be the, me. And hey, the me. reason... For that was there were so many RCAs at the time to go and retro them and change their pay. They can't legally for cut all their the pay. RCAs hired in two years. <clears throat> they wouldn't. It, it was unfeasible to do. Um, well, I know there was a. I I know a couple people that actually were hired like just after that cutoff. Date, and they did actually reduce their pay and put them on table four. Uh, 
All right, moving on. And, and that's a hell of a pay drop. Yes. Yeah. Have you noticed that's how it usually works? We always get the pay drop. Mm. And, and and I hate hate to defend the postal service uh, on this, but this was a matter of business survivability it really was um if we'd have continued on with table one oh uh, we pretty much would have lost the uh the no layoff clause because they wouldn't be able to afford to, to pay everybody at the accelerated rate of table one well this was one of the fine things that that arbitrator gave us along with rx well <laughs> with the two tables but I think that was one of the things that the post office was trying to push, and we were saying no. Oh, yeah. Well, they did that. They got that idea from the auto manufacturers who went to two table systems themselves. Well, actually, well, that may be where it originally came from, but actually, the APWU actually yeah. voted it in, right, and agreed yeah. to it. And then both us and the city carriers got handed it to us in arbitration that year. Yes. So, all right, let's move on to the next one. Is there a report that verifies credit is being received for the unscannable parcel scans? In the RMSS report, um, management has access to that, and they can pull up all your scans, and that's where that's going to be. Now, let me add a little sidebar on there because it says verifies credit. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to date, uh, my office has not been able to verify anything. So uh, that's a critical word in there in regards to verifying it. Uh, does Peter Pan fly? I don't know. I've never seen him. Can I verify, can I verify the, the unscanned parcel? I've never seen him. You you can see how many the computer registers in the RMSS report, and you can you can have your management print that out for you, and then when it finally comes time, you can look at your forty two forty one M, add up all your unscanned parcels, divide by three hundred one, and that'll give you the daily number of unscanned parcels you have, and that should be the number that's on your forty two forty one M under the unscanned parcel, mm, but. That's assuming management can pull it up for you. Supposedly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How do you factor PM casing if you do a parcel run before you run the route? Some of us do that in my office. I never knew you were to use PM casing for second trip packages. Would it be best to make the second trip after? And do we clock out before doing this? Firstly, never clock out until you are heading to your personal vehicle to go home. You don't you aren't off the clock until you're done doing work. Always be on the clock. Even if you're under PM casing, you are on the clock still under the system. PM casing is only to be used either for second trips when manage, when you don't have enough room for all the parcels in your vehicle, whether it be your POV or an LLV, FFV, or even the new de generation delivery vehicles if we ever get them. Second trips are to be done 
after end of shift duties. You get deliver all the mail, you come back, put everything away, get everything done for your end of shift stuff, then click PM casing, start load vehicle, load your packages, take them to your vehicle, unload your conveyance, bring the conveyance back part where it belongs, end load vehicle, go deliver the packages. You don't hit anything else. Then when you get back, do your duties of putting everything away that you had, your keys and things like that. Then you clock out. The union just, has the union has stated that we should not be running second trips in the morning because where was the first trip before you made the second trip? Right. I would say, James, the only thing I would add is, to what you just said is if you are doing a second trip, notate what the miles are and notate them on your 4240s or green card so they can pay you the mileage at the if they maintain two minutes a mile i don't know what they're going to do with the new with the rec system on that i haven't heard anything change other than you know than two minutes a mile right currently currently in the contract is still two minutes per mile for second trips um and plus EMA and if you're doing a if you're in a POV, plus your EMA and if you're a POV. But also, it's only rural regular rural carriers that'll be a pay the second trip rate. RCAs, uh, anybody that's uh, RCAs or PTS that are doing it will get paid green card time, straight green card time to run a second trip. You verify that? Yes. Every language I've seen I, still says RCAs are paid, second trip is paid the same. Yeah. I was I was told it's green card time for RCAs. No. No. If the RCA is running the route and has to do the second trip, then um, and it was my experience as an RCA, it was still two minutes per mile. Plus okay. EMA if I was going to say the same thing you were going to say. I would say the exception to group where it comes into green card is if you're running route three for today and you come back and they say, we need you to take these parcels for route five and six. And that's when it would switch to green card. Yep. Yeah. Because there's, now you're no longer on that route. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. And it's also the 40 hour rule. Well, that's regardless. If you go, well, that's yeah. If you go right. over forty hours, then it's going to be straight time, no matter what. Anyway, so it needs to be notated on your green card, and <laughs> if it's paid to two minutes per mile because you're under the forty hours, that's what you'll get, and that's why you notate the time and the mileage on your green card. Okay. And so, do you want me to take the second reason why you would use the PM casing, or do you want to do that? Before you before you go to that, um, yes. What what do we do? Because like during the Christmas overtime period, they were saying that we had to do, you had to come in, um, and run like fifteen percent of your parcels before you started casing your mail during the overtime period. How how was that to be handled? How would that, that be handled? That is in the F twenty one. 
just so people can go look it up. I am referencing the F-21, the time record-keeping manual. And it does specify that anything outside of the normal route would be route duties would be straight time. I actually okay. had to go to my postmaster about this. And even during Christmas time, because we know how management is, and the union did put a statement out on their second trips are after you've run the route. And, is tapped, is and if morning trips. parcel runs are needed to be done, that should be done by RCAs on green card time. But if they're going to force regulars, they should be paying them straight time. So 8127 time. 8127 time. Okay. Good. Okay. The mind. second reason you would use the PM casing, again, the same as James said, when you get back, you hit return to duty. And then you put everything away. You do all your cleanup. And if you have residual mail that was dispersed to your case while you were on the street or you were, you were told that you were allowed to curtail something, as long as local management gives you permission to case it in the afternoon for the next day, you would switch to PM casing while you're casing that mail. And only that mail. You don't don't do it for mail you brought back from the route. Correct. Right, because you should have taken care of that during your end of shift duties. Yes, and that Correct. also includes for those that get dumped on in the winter time, and you can't get to a good portion of your boxes, and you got to bring it back. That is not PM casing. That is end of shift. Because that is mail for that day. If it's mail that came in for the next day, then that would be PM casing. But anything that you already handled that day is end of shift duties. All right. And you'll have you'll right. have management argue about that with you. But it is an end of shift duty. It's it's in your rural carrier duties and responsibilities. PO six oh three is an end of shift duty. And you can actually show it to them in black and white in the PO603. And there should be one in every case. Yes, there should be one every every case and one that the management actually has a copy of as well. And I do believe it's something that's handed out at every academy to everybody, too. All right. Um, I know we're slightly past that, but while we were on that subject of with the green card and... 40 hours above and under. I know we have another one um, question in regards to that. Did you want to handle that real quick, Kristen? Yes, I will. Uh, we had a uh, <clears throat> audio comment come in on Spotify of an RCA who has been running his primary route uh, for two full weeks, uh, the, f the first and the second week of the pay period, the and worked all six days. The first week, they got paid the entire evaluation for all six days. And the second week, they were paid for 40 hours and an hour, 1.6 hours of overtime, I think it was. I'm sorry if I misquoted that. Um, that actually is correct. You have, as an RCA, you have to be at 40 hours or under. For the entire week, whether that's five or six days you work, 
in order to get the full evaluation pay. You go a minute over 40 hours, you are you get paid 40 hours in a minute of OT or anything that you went above 40 hours. Unfortunately, that is how it is. Yes, yep. we lose money when that happens and we just kind of kick ourselves and but I've gotten to the point anymore I I'm not going to try and rush to make that evaluation. I'm just going to do my job the best to my ability. If I go over 40, whether it's an hour or two hours, it is what it is. And if I'm under 40 for the week and I get the full evaluation of everything, great. But yeah, unfortunately, that's how it is. And that is actually a Fair Labor Standards Act because we are considered part-time employees. And so, yeah, anything 40 hours and above, anything above 40 hours is overtime and 40 hours or less is full evaluation pay. Kind of an incentive for you to get it done quicker, but don't brush yourself, be accurate, and be safe. Yep. Exactly. Yes. My sub likes to work off the clock. How does this hurt the route? Let's see. We don't know what go all goes into it. But in several offices, we notice routes that come in early, get done early, get lower evaluations and somewhat similar routes. Take as you wish with carrier discretion. First of all, working off the clock is illegal and uh, a grievance should be filed against management because you are too entitled to be paid for the work that you do. Second of all, if you are working off the clock and you are injured, the USPS has no guarantee whatsoever to place you on OWCP because you were not, not allowed to work off the clock. Therefore, you're not covered by workman's comp. Third of all, you're hurting the evaluation of the route. Get paid for what you're getting, you're doing, okay? The, the top of it all off, it doesn't make any sense because with the Rex program, we should be getting full pay for everything that we're doing. Much more than we had in the old system. So don't do anything for free. Don't get hurt and not get covered. And don't give management the opportunity to take advantage of you because you've done it in the past. And that's what they will. They, they will hold that over your head and say, well, you know, can you do me a favor here? Can you do me a favor? No. If you're going to do anything work-related, it has to be on the clock. And if management's and allowing you to come in early to start, then you, then they, that if, if they're giving you permission to come in and start early, then you're clocking in early. And then that's going to be right. on management to have to explain to above them why people are clocking in early. And the other side of this is I did see an argument about this. Um, well, if, you get hurt on in the office by something that happens with the office, you're covered by their insurance. Yeah, you probably are in some instances, in some instances. But that insurance has limits on it. That insurance will fight tooth and nail not to pay you for that injury. They will do anything and everything they can, including hiring private investigators to follow you around and take pictures of you to try and get out of having to pay you for it. They could wrap you up in legal 
situations for years. Why, why do you think there are so many advertisements for personal injury lawyers on TV all the time? It's because it's a big money-making business for lawyers and for insurance companies. Don't take a chance with your life and your career because you could have a career-ending injury off the clock and not be covered by OWCP. All right, so... Several days a week, I have to drive one and a half miles into the post office to drop a mailbag for 4.30 dispatch. How do I account for that? If you are... Well, there's a few scenarios of this. Uh, first, you would uh, talk to your postmaster about the earlier start to ensure that you're making the truck, number one. If your evaluation times are not within making truck dispatch, then you need to talk to your postmaster about that. Uh, if it's not possible, you should be getting miscellaneous time, supposedly. During the mini-mail survey, that would be something that would be timed, especially if it is something that is reoccurring. Um, and then you should also be getting paid the uh, mileage, the additional mileage to and from the route. Now, I'm going to say, if this is something that happens more times than not... I would have, I would talk to the postmaster about having that put into the route to where you're returning to the office to drop it and then returning back to the route. I would see if that could be built into the route, into the 4003. Well, it's now the, now the LTM, they don't do the 4003 anymore. But you know what I mean. Or so they say. Yeah. <laughs> but, supposedly. But, supposedly yeah but i yeah. you know my first step would be seeing about the adjustment of times if possible for your evaluation to be making that truck um otherwise i would be seeing if you could be paid straight time or having that be a timed event during the next mini mail survey plus getting the mileage to and from if you're in a pov or the other option would be having it built into your route. Now, again, that's all something that you would have to discuss with management or reach out to your ADR or DR on that specifically. Definitely talk to your local union representative for it, for sure. I would like clarification on rural reach credit. Your podcast explained it, but I believe it's misleading to carriers. I inquired that it is only for new revenue. It should result in a lead. Rural reach was an automatic credit under the old count system, the same as stamp stock sales. Rural reach is designed as a way to increase postal revenue. We believe personally, anything you do to increase revenue for the post office should be rural reach. However, it's carrier discretion since we weren't officially trained in RECs by management. The Rural Reach was a program to design to try and get more business customers involved, whether it's through EDDM, um, sending parcels through the post office themselves, things like that. I'll give you an example from my route. I had a customer who was shipping through us but also shipping through other people. And I noticed a bunch of packages in the back of her car when I was delivering her mail because her, her mailbox was right at her driveway. 
And so I got out and I spoke with her about it and actually talked with her about shipping it with me picking it up at her house instead of her having to go to all these different locations to drop these packages off. And now I pick up all her packages. That was a rural reach for me. So do with that information what you believe. Talk with your local union representative. Get their opinion. Ask management if they have any clue. I've also seen floating around out there in the social media webs of a picture of a form that has the uh, press and the rural reach credit and then going back to the main screen and there's a selection for lead where you fill in the information, um, hence an electronic lead card. And it, it's directing them that if you put in the rural reach, you have to put in that one to get the credit. I personally had never seen that before until recently on social media. That yeah, was that, when the lead thing first came out on the scanners. I know in my office, our postmaster told the city carriers about it, but nothing has ever been mentioned to the rural side about it. Yeah, our postmaster told us about that. And actually, our district is putting on a drive to get carriers to put leads in their, their scanners and things like that. Um, and then if, if you reach so many carriers that have done one in the office, they'll do something for you. Maybe. <laughs> Supposedly. 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 But, but I've actually, they're, they're the um, lead card in the scanner, you have to have the company name, a name of a contact, an address, a phone number, possibly an email to be able to put in that lead card. And then actually they will, they will investigate that lead and reply to you on that scanner. They will actually send you a reply whether they did anything with that lead or not. Because I've done them. So until yeah, I was, it's punching you. Yes. It, it, you know, it pops up with that screen with all that information that yeah. uh, required for the lead to actually be credited to your route. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, because I, I had somebody who was advertising on my CBUs and I, I took one of them and I was, and all it had was like his first name and a phone number. And, you know, it wouldn't process it because I, I didn't have an address or anything, anything else that I could identify the guy with. So uh, I couldn't I couldn't enter the full lead card. But again, this is where it comes down to the inconsistent training on the management side. Like I said, I've seen this on more than one. I personally have never seen this in my office. So, again, inconsistent training on the management side. That's where we'd say, you know, this is something that's definitely a carrier discretion and definitely talk to your management and reach out to your assigned union rep on the. All right. Y'all stated that stopping at every box is falsifying breadcrumbs, but we've been instructed by management to stop at every address. So what is the protocol with that? Anytime you get a new directive from management, ask for it in writing. Uh, you're going to want that piece of paper just in case to cover your behind. If management instructs you to do something and it's a direct order, you have to follow it unless it's dangerous, unsafe, or illegal, or immoral. 
So if management's telling you to stop at every mailbox, whether you have mail for them or not, whether their flag is up or not, ask for that directive in writing from management and do as you're instructed and then notify your assigned union rep. Because management may not be the one out there seeing you stopping at every box. District management, postal inspectors, a manager from another office could come out and inspect your route and see you doing that and basically write you up for that. That's why you get it in writing. The question is, we have a local news station that wants to do a story about this Rex debacle. Are we allowed to speak to them? I'm prefacing this. This is not legal advice. The USPS and the union would tell you, no, do not speak to them. Direct them to the proper media channels at both organizations. However, the National Labor Relations Board says otherwise, and we advise anyone that wishes to speak out to familiarize themselves wholly with the rules of the National Labor Relations Board and what you are legally able to do. We would also caution you to speak with a local labor attorney to get advice on this, as well as your local union representative. Can you explain start load and end load uh, duties in more detail? Uh, we are getting com confusing answers on what constitutes part of loading duties. Okay. Anytime you go to load anything into your ve delivery vehicle, you would start the load when you start it, and then when you're finished, you end load. Um, if some people I know, when they come in the morning, like to grab their parcels and put them in the vehicles to get them out of the way, if that's what you do, when you start, you start your load, bring them out to your vehicle, put them in, when you come back in, you end end load once you're pulled you know like myself once you're pulled down and all of your mail is in a conveyance with the parcels you start load load your vehicle and then when you bring the conveyance back in you end load the only difference is if the clerks bring the larger packages to your case and put them on the floor at your route at your case you can include the lifting them up off the floor and putting them on, into a conveyance as part of your load time. If you use more than one conveyance, as long as both conveyances are loaded and ready to go, you start the load, bring the first one out, load your vehicle with it, come back in, grab the second one, go out, Load that up, come back in, then end your load. If you lo only have one conveyance um, container, once you come back in the first time, you end load, refill the conveyance, then start load again. Is there anything else that I might have missed? Or is that... I would just say I that you've you got to make sure that... The, the load time does not include going to get your conveyance. 
whether it's a you know a nutting truck, a hamper, or you know, wire cage, whatever whatever you want to call it. I use the word hamper to mean anything other than like a nutting truck. If you call it a pumpkin, a gurney, a trolley, a buggy, whatever, I just call it a hamper. Um, but it doesn't include going to get that. It's and it doesn't include your pull down time. It's it's just like Josh said, when you have your conveyance loaded and you go to push out, that's when you hit start load. And the only exception to that is if clerks sort the parcels to the floor at your case, yep. and then when you're you can start load when you're picking them up off the floor and putting them into the conveyance. Yes. Yeah. That also in our marriage mail. If you get marriage mail and they put it on the floor and you take it to the street, that's also included in that start load. Yes. Yeah. The, the key here Anything is... Clerk sorted. Clerk sorted on the floor. If you put it on the floor, it doesn't you, count. Yes. If you, if you pick it up and move it around after the clerks put it on the floor, then it doesn't count anymore because you've already handled it. That's the big discrepancy a lot of people have with that. Oh, I just moved it out of the way to see what the parcels were underneath it. Unfortunately, that takes that package out of the mix. It's weird, convoluted, but it's carrier discretion. Let's see. If you have the years in, you're eligible. You can choose the high option of the route you successfully bid on. Or do you have to wait until another mail survey? Uh, unfortunately, this has been taken all the way to step four grievance twice. In 78, they said it can only be done upon submission of the new 4241. In 88, it was after a valid count survey was conducted. So, no, you cannot take the high option on a successful bid until the next mail survey occurs. You can switch back to the low option anytime. This is I correct. Say this is correct. You can go from high to low, but you cannot go low to high. I would say um, the only possible exception to this is if the carrier that was that vacated the route that when it went up for bid had the high option if they post it as the high option. If you are have make all you know the eligibility have the years in you could possibly keep that high option but well, as if, Bill you, said, if, if you have the time in josh you can keep right. the high option yes and the only but only if it's posted with the high option right and correct and the only other thing i can think of but given the way that they have the mini mail surveys laid out to so where the second one of the year at the end of September will take an effect at the beginning of the new guarantee period. I know in the past, the beginning of the new guarantee period was also when you got to select the high or low option if you qualified. So that kind of falls hand in hand with the uh, mini mail survey at this point now. But yeah, the beginning of the new guarantee period was the other one. And then again, it's, it's again, if qualified. Yes. Which means ten years in the in as a uh, regular the carrier for the regular carrier. Yeah. Hey, does, does PTF time count in that? Yes. Yes. 
Yes, because you're, you're a career employee. Yes. Career employee. So it's 10 years as a career employee, not just as a regular carrier. Correct. Right? Yeah. It's ten, 10 years from your retirement eligibility Comp- date or yes. compensation date. Yes. So if you've got military time that you bought back, that would add in there as well. All right. I have a question about railroad track crossing sections. I don't have any, but should, could I get credit for funeral processions since I pull over, stop for them? I work by, deliver to a veteran cemetery. I don't get stopped every day, usually two to three times a week. But neither do people who have train tracks or crosswalks, depending on when they get there. Some of these are very long, especially if it's for a, for a cop, it says. Should I start keeping tracks of the time and get some kind of miscellaneous average time credit for them thanks in advance uh this has been debated multiple times in multiple locations but if you can get management to agree to give miscellaneous time based off a stopwatch added together in seconds and add all the time up for every single day you stop then divide it by 301 that should be your miscellaneous time however this is carrier and management discretion Again, I would also refer to your assigned union rep on this as well. I'm just going to add to this. During the mini-mail survey meetings in my district, one of the things that we were told was any miscellaneous time, local management had to get district approval for so they couldn't just enter it. They had to submit it to one of, I think, three people in my district, and one of, and those three people would reply yes or no if they could put that in. In eighty-one twenty-seven time. And I'll put I'll put this to you. We had uh, that that in one of our offices in in the district here in uh, my district, and their route they have a train yard. And their route goes across that track about the same time that they're always switching cars in that train yard and blocking the crossings. And it's not just, oh, drive down a block and go to, to the next crossing. It's you got to drive five miles around to get around this, this train. So they actually got approval from district management to do it, the timing, and then divide it by 301, because that's how many days out of the year we work is 301. And that's how they got the miscellaneous time for it. But it was approved by district because they're sitting at those tracks for 20, 30 minutes at a time. This one's kind of interesting. When a customer has their mail on hold or they get a package, do you scan it at the office or take it out with you and scan it at the box? Just curious how everyone does things. Seems to be so many different ways of doing things. In our opinion, if it's on hold, save it, and during start load, scan it as a hold and place it in the proper place. Then when it's time to go out under start load vehicles, scan it out for delivery and take it to the truck. That way you get the credit for the scan and the credit for uh, the time it takes for you to do it. However, management may may have different instructions, and so you may your designated union representative. We've we've had this question uh, brought up in our office in regards to scanning in the office. Um, we scan at the office that it's on hold. We don't we don't take the package out. Uh, a you know just in case you misdeliver it. 
B, because you might lose it. And C, because you might not remember to scan it at the box. Just do it where it, it's expedient in regards to doing it at your case. Um, when we take it back out, we don't do anything during the start load as far as putting it out for delivery. It's the first I've heard of that. So if anybody has a different opinion, you know, express that. Uh, we take it, you know, we take it to the uh, customer's house. We deliver it to the door, the box, wherever, and we scan it as being delivered. And management has different instructions. Management has no clue because of the fact that most <laughs> of our people who have been trained under the Rex program still have no clue. Uh, you may want to check with your designated union representative on that. I don't give them any opportunity to say that I'm falsifying or adding scans on there. So that's the way I do it. I take it, I deliver it, and I scan it at place, in the proper place, whether it's at the door, the mailbox, at the garage. But um, I have a target on my back because of who I am, and I don't give them any opportunity to, to get me. So you do, as we say, carrier discretion. I do the same thing as you. I scan it as customer hold the day I get it. And then I mark it and load it with the rest of my parcels the day the hold resumes. But I have heard different management people saying that they want you to scan it out for delivery or out for redelivery that morning so the customer knows it's actually coming out. But like you said, yeah, follow what your local management and union rep tell you, advise you to do for your area. Yeah, I uh, in my office, we uh, some people do scan it out for delivery, and in my opinion, we I do that because if the customer comes in and is looking for their mail or some, or a package, and they're like, "Well, it shows that it's on hold here." And then the management looks up the number in the computer and tracks it. It says out for delivery. So that way management can see that, hey, the package is out for delivery. And but again, carrier discretion, consult your local management and union representative for your own guidance on this. And if you're a regular, your customers know that you'll deliver all the mail and their packages Unless it's something that they they need that day, they're really not going to, you know, come into the office to look for a package while they were out on vacation. Um, that's the that's the, the uh, that's the advantage of having your own route and knowing your customer base. So, you know, like I said, that I do it the way I do it because that that's what I feel most comfortable about, and I know my customer base. So, if you want to do it with the out for delivery. Go ahead and knock yourself out. I'm just wondering, yeah, though, I, uh, if, if I'm just wondering, though, if we uh, as we is if we as carriers scan it as out for delivery or out, out for redelivery, does that actually update the tracking that they that they see if they if they go to look up the, the, the tracking number on the on the post office website? Well, these scanners are allegedly supposedly uploading every five to 20 minutes. They upload data it's, supposedly. It's, so it's quicker than that. It's quick. It's every minute. 
yeah. and every time you okay. make a scan, and then every five minutes. If if it's not if it doesn't move for five minutes, then it sends up another signal. I've got a a, a doozy one here, guys. Um, let me let me let me preface this. I have one more on that, mm -hmm. and the reason why you scan it in the morning in the office, if your customer has your hold on pickup and they come in that day to pick it up, guess what? That package is there waiting for them with their hold. Oh, mail. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So don't forget that part too. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, because. I was told when I at, at my office when I first got there, they told me that I had to scan my hold my hold parcels as delivered, even if I was holding it in the office. And I said, "Well, you know, if you've got a customer that's that's holding their mail, and they, they something comes in and they say it's delivered, I'm going to get a complaint saying, why are they delivering my parcels when I I'm not there to." When I'm not there, why? Why the hell are they delivering them? I'm just, I'm just saying uh, that because I, I just continued to to do it the way I was trained. Say, no, it's on hold. I'm scanning it as on hold, and of course, it's it's the broad brush. Well, some carriers are forgetting to scan them delivered when they deliver them. It's like, okay, then why aren't you deliver? Why aren't you addressing that with the carriers involved instead of making some, you know. Made up some excuse. Dumb, some made up excuse. Some dumb blanket policy. Address it with well, the people who aren't doing it right. The Sorry. caveat to that also, Mike, on what you're saying, on because at one point my local management was telling us, scan it delivered. Um, also, and when they were pushing that, I would follow it with a hold scan after I did the delivery scan, but. If you scan it delivered, a lot of these companies have a 30-day return policy mm -hmm. from the date it's yep. delivered. So that's the day one of a five-day of a week-long hold. They've just lost a week for them to decide that they want to return it. Yep. Or, yep. And that's day one of a 30-day hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, uh, or, we had a thing in our office where they started um, by my former postmaster of scanning them delivered to agent when they were on hold. <laughs> well, number one, that does not stop the clock with Amazon. Uh, and that was because it had something to do with the clerks. I don't know exactly what it was, but I, it's still one of those things I'm trying to rework back out to scanning as customer hold properly um but yeah it's probably because the clerks weren't scanning them delivered exactly which brings me to a question about scanning has anybody been advised or directed to scan the certified letters that are in your dps as being received yeah. in office no 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 in fact our we have right on our accountable cart there's a printout that says do not scan arrived at unit for certifieds even for the clerks for the ones that come really? in the wrong mail yeah yeah huh they're just going to the route now yep then why are they paying yep. for the service they're well, now treated the as just standard first class mail with a signature confirmation 
basically. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's just like the international registers that were used to be on the accountable cart, and now they're being thrown in your parcel cart. Yeah, they're no. counted as a certified... No, how Anyway. Not. All right, so I have this email that I didn't... I don't remember if I shared with you guys or not. Um, but I'm going to read this, and I'm going to let you guys answer this for me uh, more than what I could. Oh, boy. <laughs> with whom do I grieve when I'm denied a volunteer assignment by labor? Me and a couple other coworkers had the opportunity to go help in another state. It all came to a halt when I was told district labor manager had denied it. I asked the uh, gentleman in that state if he often sees requests denied, and he said only from city carriers, and that there is nothing in writing that says a rural carrier cannot take an assignment. Not long after I received an email from the union rep, I think... They were the ADR asking for info about it so they could send it to the board. I sent them a copy of the flyer. Weeks passed and I heard nothing. They happened to be in the office one day and I asked them about it. They didn't offer an explanation except saying that it was only for RCAs, which I took as not legitimate seeing as I had been in contact with the person requesting volunteers and he knew our positions were regular rural carriers. The other thing that really rubbed me the wrong way was that they tried to discourage me by saying that it wasn't worth it and the per diem I'd make wouldn't cover housing costs, again contradicting the flyer. I was ready to explore all possible means of resolving this and even wrote my congressman. They replied to try and have it taken care of locally first. It kind of moot at this point because I'm going into management, but I know my coworkers still would like to go, and I'm still wanting a solid black and white answer as to why we couldn't. Thank you. As far um, as I know, well, uh, assignment details are just for RCAs since there's no way to pay a regular outside of their office on the rural side. Am I correct? Is it, there's no way to pay them outside of the current MOU for anything other than their route. At least there's no contractual way to pay them yeah. off of their route except for during the MOUs, but allowing again, them to assist on the routes. But again, that's all within your office. This is an assignment yeah. in a completely different state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's why, because I... I did one of those as an RCA and the only ones, the only, the only uh, carriers that were allowed to do it were CCAs and RCAs. And I think, and I believe it was for that reason that there's no way there's, there's just no way to legally pay the regular carrier for, for working outside of their, outside of their aside route. And then I think you run into things like if, <clears throat> If you're on, say, say your route's a 45 k, and they put you, and they don't have a forty five k route available for you, then what happens? You know, you're you're going to run into getting paid less. I I, I just think there's, I, I just don't think there's. I think there's. It's just too convoluted to try and pay a regular to work outside their office. I agree. Okay, so yeah. 
Um, also, just some clarification when we were talking about manually entering uh, the barcodes, typing them in. We weren't talking about using option five manual entry where it allows you to change the date and the time. We were talking about actually manually keying in the barcode, not under the manual entry. That I know has popped up a few times when we say manually enter it. We're not talking about doing it under option five. We're talking about under the regular scanning, the regular scan option, and you have to type in the numbers. numbers. Mm -hmm. Because, Because they won't scan. Right. right. Um, and, yeah. And when we were dis- we were when we were discussing the eight digits at the beginning of the scan, when you actually use the barcode and scan it with the scanner, you're not manually inputting. You scan it with the scanner, whether it's a first class or priority package or an Amazon package. When you scan it with the scanner, you look at the numbers that pop up on the screen. You will see a three-digit number prior to the zip code that that package gets delivered to. And then you will see the numbers that are listed below the barcode. Those first eight numbers on that scan are the ones we were talking about, not the first eight numbers you see on the parcel. They're numbers you won't see unless you hit it with the barcode scanner. Yeah, and if you have to key, if you have to type it in, you're just typing in what's on the actual package. Yeah. And cussing. <laughs> Especially if Not you have another. 25 of them. <laughs> Yo, if you're eighth SPM for the day. Yeah. <laughs> on, on a Monday. Or a Tuesday after a Monday holiday. Yeah. And it's, and it's raining out. Or snowing. Or sleep. Yeah. <laughs> or, or dark like, of night. Like, or you like guys, in, in some of your cases, tornadoes. tornadoes. Yeah, like Virginia Beach today. Virginia Beach uh, today when we were, were recording this had a tornado go through. Don't worry, it'll blow by. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, just a gi- it's just a giant windbag anyway. Oh, I didn't know Bill oh. was in Virginia. Oh, man, you're making me bite my tongue right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that that manual entry option, to be honest, I'm surprised they haven't removed that from the scanner. Yeah, I think the only... Because of the fact that it it requires you to add, once you put in the um, the barcode or tracking number, it requires you to add a date and date time. And time, yep. Which is manipulating and potentially could potentially be falsifying. falsifying. Yep. And the reason they put a stop to that is because carriers were going into that or management for express mail to beat that 12 o'clock cutoff. So they weren't failing. Are you talking about the alleged integrity scans? And no. I was just going to touch. I, I was <laughs> just going to touch on that. Is I think I've actually only used that manual en- manual entry twice in my going on eight and a half years, and that was per the supervisor's directive at the time for a scan that had been missed the day before, yep. and I knew I had delivered it, so she had me punch it in under manual with the approximate time. 
that know. was prior to the whole integrity scan stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that I did that at my at my old office uh when I was an RCA with the two scanners ago. Not mm-hmm. not so we have the ones we're using now, we had the big bricks, the ones before that. Oh yes, yeah. The ones with the green scan light, yep. Yeah. Well no, well the ones that we were discussing before that you that we had a uh, that we synced to a Bluetooth yeah, 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 had to have with a, a, with a flip phone that you synced with the with the with the Bluetooth mm-hmm. to to get the GPS uh, locators on it. Yep. Yeah, would we would they'd have the report with the missed scans? I did it. I did it once or twice. The next day, hey, did you do you remember a parcel for this guy? And it's like I, I just say to my man, my my supervisor, man, I don't. I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, and you want me to remember if I ski. But normally, it's like, you know, I came back with the truck empty, so I'm pretty sure I delivered it. All right. He said, I've, okay, well. I've got another one that uh, we haven't followed up on yet that came as a private message into the page. Uh, there's one more question, if you have the time. Is Blue Box Scan and Pickup in either Rex Guide or Contract? I have paper copies both in front of me and cannot find it. Trying to put together documentation to present to the postmaster to request the UPS store drop-off pickup location be added as a blue box on mapping. Because I'm going to assume as the UPS store drop-off pickup, she probably has like a blue box scan code that she has to scan it. Yeah. Saying can she can I, it can I answer? Let, let me answer this because we have, I have this situation in my office because we have a UPS uh, carrier. My office has a UPS store on her route. And, uh, and yeah, she goes in, she takes an empty tub in, you know, behind the counter, they accept mail. She swaps an empty tub for a full tub. And there is a, there's, a barcode there's a blue box barcode on that uh, on the door to to their uh mail drop and it has to and it has to be cleared like any other uh blue box scan on any other route and you know there have been times that you know when i was an rca that it's like hey can you run out to the ups store and stop by because uh, that that scan hasn't cleared yet so, you know, people in RCA might have to run out there. You know, for some reason, it just didn't clear. So you had to go out and get it. So, yes, I would say, I, I don't know where it's in writing. But if, but if it's a scan that has to be cleared, then I would, I would definitely talk to your postmaster and your, your, local, uh, and your local union representative about having it, having it added. I was I was just going to say the same thing. It, you know, if it is if there is a collection box scan that is required every day, saying that you were there and collected the mail, then it should be it should be notated in the mapping, at you know some way. And don't forget to get the dismount distance too. Yes. Yep. Yes. Oh, hopefully, it's already an authorized dismount with uh, and measured on how far from the truck to go in and get everything. Yeah, you have a lot of faith in management. I said, hopefully. 
You want to make sure you you measure from your truck to where you drop the mail off to where you pick up the mail back to your truck for the authorized dismount. Don't scan it one minute early. It doesn't count as a scan. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Just going to add I know. I've there. had to sit at my blue... I've had to sit at my blue box for like two, three minutes a couple times. Yep. <laughs> All right. We got anything else we want to touch on, guys? Or are we going to wind it down for the night? Only thing I would wanted to would add is um, look forward to a, a bonus lighthearted episode later this week. I've, hopefully everyone will enjoy it. And I will you put out the uh, caution that the language can be a little explicit at times. We have a couple special guests that uh, we recorded a... I will put this out there. Uh, we recorded a little bit of a crossover episode with uh, Damien and Sean from Attempted Delivery. I do believe we will be releasing that, I think we agreed, on Wednesday. Since their podcast yes. drops on Thursday morning, we will... Re uh, be dropping that on uh, Wednesday morning. So look forward to that. Um, it was good. Like I said, I'm going to caution you. Language may fly a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, definitely a lot looser language. On there. <laughs> um, and hope, hopefully if you guys like what you heard on that episode, you'll actually um, find them and start listening to them and supporting them. Yeah, definitely go check them out. That's uh, Attempted Delivery. They uh, are a couple roll carrier brothers uh, that are making their way into stand-up comedy on Pony Mike Nights. So it was really cool to finally get a chance to talk to them. I will have to admit it was a little bit of a weird fangirl moment because I'm so used to listening to them on Thursdays that uh, actually talking to them was kind of like, oh, wow, this is cool. But... Uh, mm -hmm. That's what they said about you. <laughs> <laughs> it really well, almost was. They, uh, yeah. So I know they've mentioned us a couple times on their podcast, and we've mentioned them a couple times now. But we will probably in the future eventually do something else with them as well. But look forward to that. That'll just kind of be our midweek special on Wednesday. Um, I will let you guys, uh, James. Any uh, last uh, thoughts yeah, and commentaries? Yeah, make sure you subscribe to uh, their podcast, subscribe to ours. You know, this was a little bit different type of uh, podcast than we normally do. Usually we're a lot less scripted than we were today. But a lot of that had to get out. A lot of that had to be brought up. And we want to make sure that we cover what people want to hear from us. Because that's what we're here for, is we're here for you guys. That's our whole goal in this, is just to reach out to our fellow brothers and sisters in the craft. And no matter what, we're here for you guys. People can say bad things about us anywhere they want. They can say whatever they want about us. That's their right. They have the freedom of expression to do so. And we have the freedom of expression to bring information to you guys on this podcast. We're not here trying to circumvent anybody. We're not here trying to take away from anybody. We're trying to give and build up people. 
And if you take away just one thing that you can talk with your fellow carriers about or your local union rep or your management about, then we've done our job here. Just one person does that. I feel we've done our job. So thank you to each and every one of you that listens to us every time we post a podcast. And be safe out there and take care of your fellow carrier. Josh? Following James's sentiment, you know, as long as we're making at least one person's life job easier, we're doing, we're doing what we, you know, set out to do. Don't get overwhelmed. If you do, step, take a step back, take a deep breath, and step back in and get at it. Have a good week. Mike. Well, this is going to be a, a short week for me this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then Thursday, we'll be at Mid-States Convention in Wichita, Kansas. So if you're in, the 12, if you're in one of the 12 states, well, even if you're not, I look forward to seeing, I believe we have 230 people registered for Mid-States. Wow. Looking forward to, to seeing you all there. Of course, uh, national board members of the national board will be there for Q and A on Saturday. There's also going to be an address from someone from the postal service on Saturday. So, looking forward to seeing what the national board and, and the and the USPS have to say about. Oh, I don't know. Rx, <laughs> maybe. I think it's supposed to be implemented. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be Saturday, the day it's supposed to go into effect. So, supposedly. So, we'll see. If, if you're registered, I'm l- looking forward to seeing you there. And if you're coming, safe travels. Bill? Oh, just to go back a little bit, you know, in regards to talking about people working off the clock. This bugs me because of the fact that, you know, if you work off the clock and you devalue your route's evaluation, Keep in mind, when you bid off that route, you're doing a disservice to the next carrier. And I I think that's probably one of the things that irks me the most is that you don't think beyond yourself. And, And that's not the premise of a union. The union is to think about the entirety, the the entire craft, your office, your district. So don't do it. Don't don't work off the clock. Don't cheat yourself and don't che- cheat the next guy in line, okay? Or girl. We're here giving our time freely, unpaid, and we're trying to educate the craft. We're trying to make management and the union, you know, more responsible in regards to our concerns. And by offering this service, like you said, if we help one person, if we get two positive, you know, comments and we get some feedback. We have people asking questions. I mean, you know, it's showing the level of involvement that people are actually starting to take seriously in regards to how their pay, pay is, you know, actually calculated. I think that's the best part of this this whole podcast is that we are getting people involved. And with that, you know, make sure you go out, do the job to the best of your ability. Uh, Don't cheat yourself. Don't do anything outside the guidelines that you feel comfortable with or outside, you know, what management gives you written directions in regards to doing. Be safe, folks. Uh, Do the best job you can. At the end of the day, go home to your loved ones. And, uh, you know, God bless you all because, you know, this is a, a, a tough job and a tough time for this craft and for the post office. So. 
take care of yourselves, get home to the people who care about you. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, it's going to be a short week for me as well. I am off tomorrow for Celebration of Life Services for my daughter's grandfather. And then I will be Tuesday and Wednesday running two routes as usual. And then Wednesday evening after work, I'm going to take off, head downstate to my parents' house, spend the night, get up really super early and hit the road about 5 a.m. Thursday to head to Wichita. So I know we have myself, Mike, and I do believe James is going to be making it down to Wichita. So we three of us will be at Mid-States. We look forward to meeting anybody that's going to be there that's a listener. That'll be fun. And on that note, I want everybody to stay safe this week. Safe travels if you're traveling. Stay safe out on the route. And we will see you back next week. We'll technically see him Wednesday when we post the joint yes. with attempted delivery. So we'll see him Wednesday and then our normal time for our regular podcast. Well, Don't forget to like, share, well, and subscribe. Well, maybe I will have to see what's going on Sunday because I probably will still be driving home. So we might have to change it up. <laughs> we, we will get back to you on when the next official episode will be. Yeah, we'll we'll post we'll post um if it's not going to be the, Sunday night or Monday yeah, morning. Yeah, we'll post on the page. We'll post it on the page. If we're not going to do their normal launch day. Yep, we'll work it out amongst ourselves once we figure it out. Because it just dawned on me, I will be driving twelve plus <laughs> hours on Sunday. So uh, yeah, <laughs> what that, better way to talk with all of us? <laughs> now we can talk you all the way home. <laughs> but anyways everybody have a safe week and we'll see you next time bye all bye